Good afternoon, Nashville Life. I am so glad that you're here. I'm Alvin. For those of you who are here for the first time, I'm lead pastor here at the church, and it's a privilege to speak in front of you guys today. Uh, we are starting a new month. Uh, this is our first Sunday of June. Uh, it's a big month for us. But before we get into the word, I would like for us to do our declaration. So repeat this word after me or these words after me. Say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, thanks. So what we said was this is the first Sunday of June. It's the sixth month of 2021, uh, in case you haven't realized, the year's gone by pretty fast, um, but uh, it's good. It's a good year. We, the whole theme of the year, in case it's your first time or in case you forgot, uh, is I'm a life giver. I'm a life giver is the, the-, the theme of 2021. And it's a word that's inspired in this Old Testament story, uh, Exodus uh, 40 through, um, no, I think it's Genesis 40 through 47. Uh, Genesis 40 through 47, it's the story of Joseph. Joseph is the, from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's an Israelite. He found himself uh, a victim of injustice and was uh, sold into slavery in Egypt, a, a, a country or a nation that did not acknowledge God. It, it did not acknowledge the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was a pagan, unbelieving, very wicked place, very lucrative, very successful monetarily and culturally, but very wicked. And somehow, miraculously, Joseph, who was a man of God, found himself in a very high position of influence in Egypt. And he foretold and helped them understand that a, a year of great plenty was happening all around uh, the world for seven years. And then there was going to be seven years of a famine. And he pretty much led Pharaoh and Egypt into a great storage plan. They had a great storage plan where for seven years they stored up all of, or a lot I should say, of the abundance that was coming in, 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 as far as vegetation and grain. And the whole idea was to store up so that when there was seven years of famine, they would have more than enough, not only for them, but they could then be a supply of grain for the rest of the world. And that's exactly what happened. For seven years, there was a famine, and the only place all over the earth that had grain was Egypt. So they were in a position of great power, of great influence, and every nation had to come to Egypt to get uh, what they were lacking in their land. And the revelation that I got from this that I've been trying to share is that I believe that the church is a version of that today. I believe that we are the storehouse in a world that's going through a famine. Malachi, the famous tithing scripture, actually uh, compares God's people to the storehouse. And it describes, it says, every time you tithe and every time you give, you are assuring that there's more than enough 
in the storehouse. And that whole storehouse is very similar to the storehouse that Egypt was. This world is in a great famine. And it's not a famine of money. It's not a famine of food necessarily, but it's a famine of, of God. It's a famine of God's spirit. It's a famine of peace. It's a famine of unity. It's a famine of clarity. It's a famine of life. And I truly believe that the church has been positioned to be the sole, and yes, I mean the sole source of life for the world that's in need. The body of Christ is the only supply of life that the world has. You are the only supply of life and light that non-believers have. And I really want to affirm the identity of a life giver in the church because I truly believe that the world can look no other place than the body of Christ than to get what they need. So as the church, we must accept that. We must accept the truth, even though sometimes our minds want to fight the idea that we are the source of life for people, but we actually are. I don't care how tired. I don't care how depleted. I don't care how discouraged. If you have Christ, you are actually the life source for the world. And so often the enemy works overtime to make us think it's not us, it's someone else. But if you have Jesus, by, according to the word of God, you are the storehouse for his spirit for the world. Even on your worst day, a Christian on their worst day is rich. Not because, not, not because everything is going well, not because everything is going the way you planned, but simply because you have the spirit of God living on the inside, you are in a position to give. Uh, so I really want to make sure that we continue, and I'm glad I brought this up because sometimes we can forget that this year is all about accepting and believing that you are a life giver. And uh, the best way to test that out is to give, to give life, give encouragement, give truth, give the gospel, share the love of God. I'm telling you, you will realize if you give that you actually have. That's, that's honestly, nothing really convinces you that you have until you give. It's not until you give that compliment that you realize that there was a compliment inside of you. It's not until you give that revelation that you realize there was a revelation inside of you. So I'm encouraging everybody to, to give life. However you see fit, give life. And you will find out that there's a whole lot of life in you. Um, and the greatest thing... And the thing that I want to focus on this month that we should be giving is something that the world is in great need of, and that is fatherhood. I truly believe that at the root of, of uh, the demise and the decline of our society, I think it's rooted in a lack of fatherhood. Um, that's not only what I think, but it's actually scriptural. scriptural. Scripture says that the actual root of our issues is who our father was, Adam. We have a father issue. There was a, there was a uh, decline in the fatherhood of Adam, and because of him falling out of position, it has had all the effects that you see in the world today. I truly believe that the sole reason that the world has become the way it is is because of the, it, the attack and the removal of the father. I honestly also believe that the root of the solution is to restore 
the Father. And the reason why I know that, again, it's not because of my opinion, but it's because of Scripture. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and the reason why he's the Savior of the world is because he reconciles us to our Father. It's the Father wound. The Father wound has created the most issues in our world. I cannot stress this enough. If you look and trace back to the root of most issues in society, you will see it goes back to an issue with the Father. And the reason why I can say that with a smile on my face is because the good news is that that issue has been solved through Jesus Christ. The beautiful thing about Jesus reconciling us to our heavenly father is that he is perfect in all of his ways. And the cool thing about the father is when you get reconciled with the heavenly father, he makes up for all the areas that our earthly fathers fell short. We've got a wide range of father's stories in this room. There are some fathers who you have great fond memories of. There's some people in here that have amazing memories when they think of their father. Their father was great, and there's some where it's not so great. There's some where it's actually traumatic. There's some where there is non-existent because their father was either uh, passed away when they were young or just left. Uh, There's a wide range. I feel like every possible story is actually mostly represented in this room. And the good news is, regardless of if They were better than others or less than others. The scripture says that all of them fell short of the glory of God at some point. It doesn't matter how great they were, they still weren't perfect. And the good thing about it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because when Jesus comes into the picture, he reconciles you not just to a father, but a perfect father. The series is called Perfectly Fathered. Perfectly Fathered. And the wonderful thing about being Perfectly fathered is even when you're not perfect. If you are perfectly fathered, things work out. That's the wonderful thing about us. The pressure's off for us trying to be perfect because we're not going to be. But the reason why we don't have to be is because we're perfectly fathered. So even the areas that we're falling short, the perfect father makes up for. When we are in lack, the perfect father provides. When we fall short, the perfect father restores. The perfect father corrects. He affirms. He does everything needed to take an imperfect person and put them on a perfect path. Not because we are perfect ourselves but we are perfectly fathered and that is the series that we're on today or this month one of my favorite things about being a Christian is how well I'm fathered by God and that's something that had to grow over time that wasn't a benefit that I walked in expecting but now that it's been some years I'm able to see how perfectly fathered I have been since I've been following Jesus. It might sound like a crazy concept to be fathered by God. Some Christians still wrestle with it because when you think of father, you think of the tangible one that was in your life. And God is a spirit. You can't see him, and sometimes you can't even feel him. And it's, it's, it's sometimes a challenge to, to really grasp the truth that God, who is a spirit, is your father. But as you follow Jesus, as you follow his word, you will see the effects of the perfect father in your life. Christianity is built on the importance of fatherhood. 
It's built it's all through scripture. We see in scripture that the father sets a child's destiny. If you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the, the men weren't blessed until they received a blessing from the father. In society, even outside of scripture, you see that you, most of us got our last names from our father. Scripturally, the father determines our eternity. It's not until we're reconciled with the father that we are guaranteed a place in heaven. The Lord's prayer is a time where Jesus teaches us to address who? The father. And he teaches us through that prayer that the father is the source of our daily bread. He's our protector from temptation. He's our leader. He leads us like it's, it's you see in the Lord's prayer that Jesus is endorsing and, and supporting this reconciliation between us and our father. At the baptism of Jesus before he starts his ministry, when he's raised from the, de- raised from the water, I should say, and the dove ascends on him and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he hears affirmation from who? His father. It is the blessing of the father that sets your course. It is the affirmation of the father. And, I, and God bless moms, God bless families, God bless cousins, God bless friends, God bless mentors, but nothing, nothing takes the place of the blessing and the affirmation of one's father. And again, that would be sad news for us if it wasn't for Jesus. But the good, because not all of us got that affirmation from our Father. Not all of us got that, that love and that blessing and that spoken word of blessing from our Father. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is the perfect Father makes up for everything that you lacked. Everything that you lacked from your, pers- from your natural Father. The Heavenly Father has been brought into your life to heal all those wounds and fill up all the areas where you were lacking. And that's why I love it. It's not because we had perfect past, but we have a perfect father and the results are life-changing and they continue to be life-changing. I'm going to talk about it more. Uh, Malachi chapter four, verse six. This was prophesied. The effects of Jesus is he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let me talk about this. This shows that reconciliation with our father is essential. And the alternative to reconciliation with the father is destruction. We see, the scripture says this, but I don't even think we have to really stretch that hard to believe it because we can even see it in the natural. The father issues produce and birth some of the most tragic results. And you see that God sees it. He goes, I will send someone that's going to reconcile children to their fathers and fathers to their children, lest otherwise... Destruction is coming. And as the church, we are called to not only be saved from destruction ourselves, but to save others from destruction. And as we have this goal to make the world a better place, it's not going to happen unless we address the root of all of this, and that is the Father, the presence of the Father, the presence of the Father in someone's life. Again, society testifies of this in the natural, and scripture testifies of this in the spirit. 
The good news is that reconciliation is possible and it is available. That's why I can speak about the tragedies of, 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 of father wounds because I can speak with confidence that reconciliation is here. It's here. And it's here through, you could probably guess what I'm going to say, this is a Christian church and we follow Jesus. It's Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him. Again, let's repeat after me. Jesus said. Jesus said, said, one more time, Jesus said, said. we didn't make this up. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Now I want to talk about this because so often we let this statement I talked about this one time, I was, it was years ago, back in Wallace Chapel, I think the message was keep the good news good. And I said, sometimes we get so offended that Jesus is claiming that he's the only one and the only way to the Father that we miss out on the good news that he's the way to the Father. And we spend so much time arguing how could he be the only one that we actually miss out on the fact that he's saying, I am the way to the Father. So don't get so caught up in the controversy of the exclusivity and the specificity of Jesus that we miss out on the fact that he's saying, I can connect you to your dad. And not just your dad, the perfect father. Let's just, sometimes we just let the no one, just that's, that's all that we see. And we're just like, I'm done. You lost me at no one. How about the fact that he's saying, I am the way. I can show you to the Father. And the thing about this, this is a bold statement, but it's not an egotistical statement. I was talking to a friend, and they were saying, my trip up with, you know, the Bible is that it's just, it's so self-affirming. It's saying, like, this is the truth. And, like, you know, Jesus saying, I am the way. Like, and, and, we, and we take it with offense because we take it as if, um, I guess, put it this way. It's, it's sometimes more becoming and more... Uh, appealing to people when other people say you are like for instance let's say I say like, I'm a great preacher y'all be like man I'm over this guy but if somebody else says he's a great preacher it means more it means more so I think sometimes people get put off by Jesus saying I am the way and it's like they would like it better if someone else said Jesus was the way I think some people get turned off that he actually said I am the way. And I want to help you guys out because it's actually not ego. This is not the same thing as Jesus saying, I'm big and I'm bad and I'm the best. And, you know, try to outbeat me and let's see what happens. Like, Jesus wasn't speaking this in an egotistical way. It was actually uh, scientific and it was actually legal. The reason why Jesus is the only way to the Father, this is what happens when he was talking. He wasn't saying, I'm the only way because I'm the best and I'm better than all you guys. Y'all, Jesus had a very lowly destiny and purpose on this earth. He came to die. He didn't come to boast. He didn't come to brag. He came as the sacrificial lamb. His entire purpose was to eventually be killed 
as the atonement for sin. I really want to help you guys out for those of you who get tripped up at him saying he's the only way and for those of you who talk to others who get tripped up. I'm going to help you out because it has nothing to do with ego. Jesus's purpose was to be the sacrificial lamb. If you look at the Jewish law, the blood had to be shed for the atonement of sin and it couldn't just be any blood. It had to be blood from a spotless, sinless lamb or animal. So Jesus, when he says, I'm the only one, he goes, he's also saying, I'm the only person born of a virgin. I'm the only person with blood that is pure enough and that is spotless enough to actually cover your sins. It's not ego. It's science. He goes, guys, Nobody else has this blood. There's nobody else that has this blood on earth. And there's no one, none of, no one else can shed their blood and it's the proper payment for sin. So the reason why I'm the only way is not because I'm just flexing and I'm bragging. I literally have the only blood that is able to atone for your sins. So guys, please, we, 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 we have to just know, know our word we have to know the scripture because I, I know that this is a big hang-up for a lot of people. I just can't get over the fact. So next time you're in a conversation and someone is, is trying to challenge you, again, it's not, they're not bad people. They're just trying to understand. And again, most people would take this news as, man, this guy is really arrogant. In fact, that's how the people of his day took it. They were really turned off by him saying this because they didn't understand that he was talking in legal terms. It was according to the Jewish law that the blood had to be spotless for, for and the, the lamb had to be spotless for the sacrifice to count. And Jesus goes, I'm the only one who's spotless. I'm the only one with blood pure enough to actually accomplish this. So, so again, this is not about ego. So if, if someone goes, well, well, you know, what about all the other religions? What they're not going to expect is for you to say, well, it's actually the quality of his blood. Oh, wait, let's go, let's go to the scripture. This is the Old Testament law, and this was the only way that, blood, that sin could be paid for. So when Jesus came, he had the blood that was actually able to purchase us back. Like, that's how you give an answer, not, it, he just is, okay? He just is. Just stop asking me. He just is. That's probably not going to get some people. But if you say, hey, it's actually a matter of his blood. That he's, this, we're not talking about the tooth fairy here. We're not talking about Santa Claus. This is actually a, 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 a real thing. This is, this is according to law. This is according to, to, to truth. It's, it's a matter of his blood. His blood, guys, as, as, as well intent as we might be, if any of us said, you know, I want to die for the sins of humanity, and take me, you know, and I get pierced in my side, give me a crown of thorns, nail me to the cross, as, as valiant, as, as noble as that might be, at the end of the day, I have the blood of Adam. And as, as noble and as impressive and as selfless as it might be for Alvin to choose to die for the sins of the world, it would accomplish nothing. Not because I'm a bad guy, not because I didn't mean well, but my blood is tainted. My blood has been blemished with sin, and therefore it would not be able to atone for all of our sins. 
Jesus, there's a reason why he was born of a virgin. There was a reason why he couldn't have Joseph's blood running through his veins. Because when he shed his blood, it had to be perfect. That's why he's the only way. It's not just because. This is actually a lot more rooted than we give credit for. It's actually rooted. It has evidence. It is I mean, God is perfect. He crossed every T. He dotted every I in the redemption plan for mankind. So I just really wanted to get over that because I just know that's an issue that some of us have in this room. And that's the issue that a lot of our friends have is we just think it's just, we're just kind of turned off that he would say he's, he's it. Like, who says that? Someone whose blood is perfect says that. So I, I hope that that brought clarity because I know that is an actual stumbling block for a lot of us. So he came to reconcile us with the Father. The death of Jesus was the only legal payment for the sins of humanity. The death of Jesus was the only legal payment, and I actually mean legal. This is according to the law that was established in the Old Testament by Israel. The Jews had a law established by God, and Jesus was the fulfillment of that law. This is not just some flighty, airy, ethereal thing. This is rooted in human blood. It is a legal transaction that happened on the cross. It was not just, yes, we cry, yes, we get goosebumps, but guys, this was not an emotional transaction. This was a legal transaction that happened. And I think for us to be able to survive in this day and age, church, we've got to graduate from just having an emotional connection to God. We've got to graduate from just having a goosebumps connection with God. We must know that at the end of the day, this is a legal rooted thing that actually will withstand all the test of time. It was planned out, guys, from day one. It was planned out. Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 14. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and and this uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Guys, there were legal demands against our lives because of the sins that we've committed against God. All of us have committed sins against God. And because of that, scripture says there are legal demands against our lives. That means they're, they're, they're for our downfall. The legal demand is that we have to die. The legal demand is that we have to be separated from God eternal, eternally. That is the legal demand against all of our lives because of our sin. And the blood of Jesus took the legal demands, the legal. Again, this is not emotional. This is not like, I don't like them. They're going to hell. This is like a a legal thing. We are legally sentenced to damnation. But Jesus said, the scripture says that when Jesus came, the blood of Jesus took all the legal demands, our legal sentence to hell. Our legal sentence to separation from God. He took all of the legal demands and nailed them to the cross. So now we're free from all of those legal demands that were against us simply because of the blood of Jesus. This is what he meant when he said, I'm the only way. This was not some ego trip. He was talking legal terms. 
He was the only one that was able. Jesus is our legal reconciliation to the Father. And I'm using legal on purpose because that is an area that we don't think about as much. We are legally reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ. A lot of things can be happened, but you business owners and those who have had adoption, like we know that things aren't official until they are legal. You married people, it was when it was legal. All types of things, things are not official until they are legal. We are legally reconciled to God. It's not all just feelings and spirit. It's a legal situation. We are legally reconciled to the Father, which is so awesome because it really frees you from legalism. Because legalism is, I have to do certain things so I can legally belong to God. God, our legal reconciliation was accomplished 100% by Jesus. So there's nothing that you can do to make you legally reconciled to God because it was a transaction made 100% by Jesus. It was his blood that legally reconciled us. So we've accomplished that we are legally reconciled to the Father. He has legal custody of all those who trust in Jesus. God the Father has legal custody of every single person who chooses Jesus because of the blood. Let's talk about another way we're reconciled to the Father. Are y'all still with me? Let's talk about another way we are reconciled to the Father. John 14, verse 6 through 11. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now can you say, show us the, sorry, how, my bad, can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus connects us to the Father, not only legally, but experientially. It's one thing to be legally connected to God the Father. But there's another thing to actually experience him firsthand. Almost like the nation of Israel. They were God's people. But a lot of them hadn't had an experience with God, which is why Jesus was so groundbreaking. They knew that God existed, but they didn't really experience him in a, a firsthand way. And that was the issue with Israel, and it's the issue for the church today oftentimes. Because we, we, we're religious and we're, we're connected to Jesus. You know, that's, my, that's the circle that I fill out on the, on the form about what your faith is. I am a Christian, but can I actually say that I've experienced God? And there were a lot of people who were talking to Jesus, but said, we still want to experience the Father. Yeah, Jesus, you're the Son, but where's the Father? Sometimes I think even some of us have thought that. Yeah, we, Jesus is the Son, and I've, I received him, but why do I still 
feel like I'm missing out on the Father? Why don't I feel like I have the covering of a Father in my life, even though I'm a Christian? I want to tell you that Jesus actually reconciles you experientially. Let me read a, a famous Christmas thing about the birth of Jesus. It's a Christmas verse. We often use it. It's in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Though Jesus is the Son of God, he's also given this name called Everlasting Father. And I'm not sure about you guys, but that used to confuse me. I'm like, why are we calling him Everlasting Father if he's the Son? The answer is, Jesus is one of those sons who's just like his dad. Have you ever met those guys that, ooh, you look so much like him. It feels like I'm talking to him. You talk like him. You walk like him. That laugh, oh my God, that was so much like your dad. Jesus is a son who's just like his dad. He's a spitting image of his dad. He's so much like his dad that when you're sitting with Jesus, you're like, I'm sitting with their dad. That, that's how much they are one. So even though he is the son, he still plays the role of everlasting father. So when you meet Jesus, because he's just like the father, you're meeting him. That's why he says, if you've seen me, you've seen my dad. We talk exactly the same. We laugh exactly the same. We love the same food. We love the same movies. We love, we're, we're the same. For you theologians, I'm not saying Jesus loves movies. I'm making a point. Please don't get vexed. When you experience Jesus, he's so connected to the Father to where you actually experience love of the Father, even though you're chilling with the Son. They were saying, Jesus, you're great, but we want to meet your father. He goes, you're looking at him. That's how in sync Jesus is with the father. So much that he actually is dubbed the nickname Everlasting Father. He comes in the name of the father. He speaks in the name of the father. He lays hands in the name of the father. He delivers in the name of the father. Perfectly in sync. More one than we can even fathom. We have not even experienced the level of unity that, 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 that exists between Jesus and the Father. It's a perfect union. So much to where when you see Jesus, you see his dad. So that's good news. because not, not only are we legally connected because of the blood and the legal demands that were against us. That was the legal stuff. And then he actually gets us to experience it. So you get to see him firsthand. Every time you receive Jesus, you're, you're simultaneously connected to the Father because they're that connected. So the good news for those of you who want to experience the Father, just read the Gospels. Just read about If you want to know the Father's personality, read how Jesus handled stuff. If you want to know the Father's likes and dislikes, read Jesus. Just read about him, talk to him, experience Jesus, and you will experience the Father. And the reason why it's so appropriate for Jesus to be the connecting is because Jesus is the human. 
He's the one that actually came in human form. He's built to be the connecting piece from us who are human to God who is a spirit. We are human. God is a spirit. Jesus was personified and became human so that humans could connect to the spirit of God. So it's actually very appropriate that we experience the father through Jesus because he's the only one who is like us. He came in the form, he still actually has his human body. He left with it. When he comes back, he's going to come back in the human Like he is us. He's like us. So that human beings, us, can have a connection to God who is a spirit. So to know Jesus is to know the Father. You can experience him, you can experience him right now. Jesus was, Jesus, that's why the scripture says, for unto us a child is born. He was born for us. He wasn't born for heaven. He was born for us. He came in human form so that humans can know God. Unto us a son is given. You ever know why it says that? He was born for us. He was given for us. We're human beings. He came as a human so humans could experience God the Father. Are we clear? Last one. Legally, he connected us to the Father. Experientially, he reconciled us to the Father. And let me talk about personally. Because that's another level. I'm going from least intimate to most. Legal custody is awesome, but let's be honest. It's, no one's going to get goosebumps from hearing that we're legally connected to God. The legal is cool. It makes it legit. But it doesn't really, it's not as intimate. Experience is another step because you get to see him. You get to hear him. You get to interact with him. You get to have a meal with him. That's experience, which is the next level of intimacy. The most intimate one is the personal connection. John 4, 22 through 24. Jesus says this to the woman at the well, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus came to reconcile us with the Father in a way that actually is spirit to spirit, in a way that is way more intimate than anything they experienced before. He says, there used to be a time where you would come to the place and you would worship, and it was very an external thing. You externally worshiped an external God, and you came and you brought your sacrifices and God Almighty, and it was a very external situation. It had nothing to do with the insides. Those Israelites, I mean, they were worshipers, but it was not, their hearts were still wicked. It was groundbreaking. The new, the new heart didn't come into the New Testament. Before Jesus, you could only worship God externally. You did the incense and you did the fire, you did the blood sacrifice, you killed the bulls, you crossed your T's and you dotted your eyes. Again, it was all legal. But Jesus says the hour is coming and in fact, it's here right now because I'm here where we are graduating to a more intimate way to worship God. It's going to be in spirit, and it's going to be in truth. It's going to be based on the real thing that's going on in the depths of your heart. Now when you worship, it's 100% about what's happening in the heart, to where it's the opposite. 
Post-Jesus, you could actually do external worship and it would be accepted. Man, he killed 10 bulls. Man, he left all that incense. Wow, he fasted for all this time. Like all of that was considered acceptable. Then we graduate to this intimate reconciliation to where you can do all of these things and it still not count if what's happening on the inside is not matching with him. It's a new thing, guys. And again, as, as old as this text is, I still think it's relevant for us today because we can tend to get very religious and we can tend to put all the emphasis on the external things that we're doing for God when Jesus is going, we're in a new day. We're in a new time where we worship in spirit and truth. It's an intimate worship where unless you are circumcised on the inside of your heart, you're not circumcised. Unless you're broken on the inside of your heart, you're not worshiping me. Jesus says the hour is coming and it's actually here. So he's leading us from a legal connection, which is, don't get me wrong, it's legitimate. Legal is what makes it legitimate. We have to have the legal stuff taken care of. I can say, you know, my parents, when I was a baby, they could say I was their son all day long. But if I was not legally connected, I would be, they would be kidnapping me. You know what I'm saying? It had to be legal. Otherwise, like, this is my son. No, it had to, I had, they had legal custody of me. Now, was that the full relationship? I hope not. They had legal custody of me as their son. That's important. You got to establish that. Otherwise, they're criminals. <laughs> so it had to be legal. But then I had to experience them. I had to actually live in the house with them. And okay, mom's like that. Dad's like that. That's ex- but then it graduates to a personal thing where I actually am like them. I actually respond like they respond. I actually take on their person. Have you ever had a moment where you say something you're like, dang, that sounded just like my dad? Or, oh my God, I'm turning into my mom. That's, that's what you call the graduation of being more intimate. At first, it's legal. We have the same DNA, and, and they sign, the birth certificate says Alvin and Priscilla, and they are legally my parents. And then you are raised by them, and you experience them, and it's conflict because I don't want to go to bed. And they say, go to bed, and I want to eat cookies, and they say no. And we're experiencing each other. And then you graduate to the point to where now you're telling your, their, your kids they can't have cookies. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm them now. I used to fight for the cookies, and now I'm telling them they can't have cookies. This is the graduation of what we're talking about. We have been legally reconciled to the Father. Praise God for the legal stuff. The demands have been taken care of. And then we experience him. But the true worship is not until we are personally like him. We have to actually start going, oh, my God, that sounded like God. Oh, man, that reaction was how God, I handled that the way God would say, I'm turning into my father. I'm acting like my father. I handle conflict like my father does now. I handle temptation like my father handles. I handle, oh, I'm like him. Jesus says that is the time that we're in. If we're not united with him in spirit, if we don't have the same spirit, it's not worship. It's not acceptable. We have to actually have the same spirit. We have to have the same essence. We can't just be with him because of our church membership. 
That's not worship. He doesn't care what church you're a member of. If you don't have the spirit of him, he goes, we have reached a point in time where that's the only worship I accept. So how do we do it? The Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Father, they're one. Galatians 5, 22, verse uh, 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we're with them, Let's be with them. Let's just stop messing around. Like, if we're going to be with them, let's be with them. If we're people of the Spirit, he says, let's be with the Spirit. Spirit's like, I'm over here. (laughs) Why aren't you with me? And it's one thing if you're not a believer. If you're not a believer, it makes sense. Guys, if you don't believe in God, of course it makes sense you're not with the Spirit. But let's not say I'm filled with the Spirit (laughs) I'm a man of God. I'm a follower of Christ. Jesus goes, cool. Well, if you're with me, let's be with me. I am love. I am joy. Yes, joy, church. Yes, to stop. 2021 church. Joy. Joy. If you're with him, you've got joy. If you don't have joy, you're not with him. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Again, Pastor Bird said this in South Africa. They're one. It's one fruit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. You can't say, I have love, but I really don't have patience. (laughs) They're one fruit. And guys, just so you know, this is not, you can't, we're not talking about spiritual gifts here. Spiritual gifts is like, okay, this person has this, this person. It is not like that with the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit. So you can't say, well, I have the gift of peace. I have the gift of patience. I have the gift of goodness. I have the gift of self-control. And thank goodness, like, I don't have the gift of self-control because Andy does. So, you know, when his self-control plus my goodness is the body of Christ. That is false. That is false. False. Doctrine of demons. The fruit of the Spirit is not spiritual gifts. Everybody, if you have the fruit of the Spirit, you've got all these things. If you don't have one, you don't have the other. If you don't have self-control, you don't have love. If you don't have patience, you don't have joy. If you don't have joy, you don't have goodness. If you don't have peace, you don't have uh, whatever the other ones. One fruit... If indeed you are with the Spirit. Now, if you're not with the Spirit, then I'm glad you're here. Because this is where we can give the Spirit. But for those of you who are claiming the Spirit and not walking in self-control, it's one fruit. This is the most intimate reconciliation that Jesus paid for. Jesus paid for reconciliation legally, which is huge. He paid for reconciliation experientially. You can actually experience God. Many people have, many non-believers have experienced God. It's great, don't get me wrong, but it's not the full thing. Until there is a personal 
reconciliation with God where your heart and his heart have become one. Your mind and his mind have become one. You have not walked in the full reconciliation that he paid for. The reconciliation is legal, it's experiential, but it's also personal. God has always wanted people to be like him. This is not a new thing. This was not invented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He made people in his image. It was always his plan for people to be like him. Always. Adam, be like me. Rule, manage, govern. That's what I do. Be like me. Abraham, be a father like me. Moses, be a deliverer like me. David, be ruler like me. He's always wanted people to be like him. But the issue is, sin always prevented them from doing it completely. Adam was purposed to be like God. Sin. Abraham was purposed to be like God. Sin. Moses, purposed to be like God. That was the intent. Sin. Moses didn't even make it to the promised land, guys. Imagine being a deliverer and not even making it to the place you're delivering. That's the kind of stuff that makes pastors go, oh my God. Like, imagine being the deliverer and not even getting into the very place. That was Moses, guys. Yes, we honor him, but sin. David, sin. Another reason why Jesus says, I'm the only way. Jesus was able to do what no other man couldn't do, not because they didn't want to, not because they weren't trying to, but sin always end up being the thing that separated them from truly embodying God the way that he intended. Jesus perfectly did what Abraham, Moses, David attempted to do. Jesus perfectly embodies the person of God as father, as deliverer, as ruler. And the reason why Jesus is able to do what those guys didn't, because he managed to do the whole thing without sin. Guys, we don't take it lightly. Jesus never sinned, and he was actually tempted to do it. It wasn't like he was just fl flying and floating, going, oh, what is that? Like, he felt it. He felt the temptation. I don't think we realize. He, they say he was tempted in every way. That's what earned him the title king of kings. That's what earned him the title of no one can get to the Father through him, except through him, because he's the only one who didn't sin. So if you want to be like God, which I believe that you do, the answer is choose, choose Jesus. Jesus is your one and only shot to being like God. Jesus, first of all, he's without sin. Second of all, he's without sin. Like, that's really it. Sin is what destroys everything, is what messes everything up. And Jesus was without that. All of our issues are because of sin. All the issues in the world are because of sin. And Jesus is the one person who doesn't have sin, which is why he's the only way. If you want to embody the person of God, choose Jesus. He will reconcile you legally. He will reconcile you experientially. 
and he will reconcile you personally. You will be personally reconciled to God the Father if you choose Jesus. So I've got three appeals. My first appeal is if you feel condemned and you feel judged like you're in a courtroom and that there's a sentence against your life, you're dealing with the legal issue. You need the news that you have been legally paid for. Your sins have been legally paid for by the blood of Jesus. If you struggle with legalism, rest. The legal work has been done. There is nothing you can do to make you more legally forgiven by Jesus. The blood has already been shed. The legal work has been done. If you struggle with condemnation, if you struggle with feeling judged, if you struggle with legalism, God has taken care of all the legal work, and in Christ, you have, God has legal custody of you. So you can rest from all of your works. You can rest from all of your striving to accomplish something that the blood already legally took care of. Second appeal, if you don't think you feel God or sense a personal closeness to him, if you don't feel like you've experienced him, choose Jesus. And more specifically, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the accounts of Jesus. If you want to know what the Father's like, man, I just wish I knew what you were like, God. He goes, just study my son. If you've seen my son, you've seen me. And I know that might sound not as like, again, goosebumpsy, but I think we have an idol when it comes to feelings, honestly, personally. I think you need to realize that, that you got to know the word. You can't know God if you don't know the word. You can't know Jesus if you don't know the word. You got to know the word. So read it. Know it. That's how you can study his personality. You can see what he's like. You can experience him. You can experience his temperament. You can experience his logic, his wisdom. You can see how he processes information. It's amazing. Number three, for those of you who don't feel like you take after your father, if you don't feel like you're like him enough, if the father is gentle but you're not, if the father is holy but you're not, if the father is patient but you're not, if the father is faithful and you're not, if that's you, then Jesus has actually taken care of that. He has given you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the actual Spirit of God. And if you would just receive the Spirit of God, you will receive the personality of God. You will receive the temperament of God. You will receive the judgment of God. You will be able to process things like God does. You will be able to walk like God. It's true. You will walk in the fruit of the Spirit. You will love like him. You will have peace like him. Your joy will be like him. Your goodness, you will be faithful to your commitments like him. You will be a man of your word like him. Your responses will be like him. Your dreams will be like him. Your choices will be like him. All of this has been made possible. It's, it's good news. Let's just be honest. Like, you don't have to answer, but like, is that just... I don't know, is that hard for you, like, for us to, to get, like, I don't know, I'm just, it's just hitting me. I was, you know, obviously saying these things, and not that I'm saying it, it's got to be responding, because we're processing. I'm not saying you got to say amen for me to feel like you're, you're getting it, but I don't know, I just, I, I'm just being hit that 
Maybe we've been a little jaded or something, desensitized. I want to make sure that we never get desensitized and callous to the news that we can actually, we've actually been reconciled to God. Father, I want to pray. Father, I thank you for this word. Thank you, Jesus. Um, Father, with, with, uh, with me and you, I know that whenever there's a disconnect, I've kind of uh, just had enough experience where I, I, I know to assess um, areas that I need to repent. Um. And Lord, if there's any disconnect in here between this word and our hearts, Lord, I just pray that we give ourselves to repentance. Uh, if there's unbelief, if there's rebellion, if there's idolatry, if there's bitterness, if there's unforgiveness, if there's anything any sin in our hearts. If there's lust, I just pray, Lord, that we will repent from those things. Lord, so that there's no barrier between our hearts and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to end with... Uh, we're going to talk a lot about fathers this week, this month, and depending on your life, that's going to be more difficult than others, less difficult. I'm not sure. There's a wide range of stories here. Um, I just want to encourage you. Um, I've got great parents, but probably teenage years is when I really struggled connection with my with my dad, and. That was a major area of struggle and tension. And I didn't know why, and I feel like they didn't know why. Like, what's happened to our son? Like, they were great parents, but, like, there was just this divide, and it really bred a lot of issues in my life. And I'm so grateful for this message, and that, again, like last week, I can actually teach not theoretically, but this is actually my life. I had an encounter with Jesus, gave, made Jesus my Lord, came back from where I was overseas, and little did I know that God had a plan to reconcile me with my parents. Honestly, you too, but we're talking about fathers today, so... Um, my dad, and we, he, we started this church, and I think more so than us not loving each other, I just, me and my dad are just a lot different, like, interest, and, you know, I'm writing songs and singing, and dad's not, 
Um, so, you know, it was just a lot of different, we were on different planes. And we didn't really understand why we were starting this church. Um, and I think there's several reasons. I think you guys are a part of the reason. But it gave us a common ground. And before we knew it, we were working, we were co-workers. You know, we turned into being like ships passing in the night to like having a common goal. And this church has honestly reconciled us. Like we've never been closer. So the scripture is true that Jesus turns the heart of their children to their father and the heart of the father to their children. That's not, that's not made up. And I'm so grateful that by choosing Jesus, I can actually say that I've been reconciled to the father, but now to my earthly father. And that's my story. And I think for those of you, and I know this firsthand because I know people whose parents have uh, deceased and, or they haven't found their dad. They still don't know who their dad is. And it's amazing how the story still works even for them because they experience Jesus and they're reconciled to the Heavenly Father. And even if their father has been dead for 20 years, they reconcile. I've seen kids reconcile with their father who's dead not because they're conjuring up spirits. I'm not saying that stuff. I'm saying through forgiveness. Through forgiveness. I'm going to... I know you don't mind. You're my guy. Josh. Josh lost his dad years ago. And if I can tell you how many times we've talked, specifically in the area of him feeling reconciled to his father. And his father's been gone, but he, he has, he has uh, a whole, like, journal where he's, like, writing to his, his dad. And, like, it's, it's incredible. This is true. Jesus reconciles us. He makes peace because, again, the alternative is destruction. If we still aren't at peace with our dads, it breeds destruction. So even if your father was the worst of the worst, you can still benefit from this promise. He will bring reconciliation from your heart. And it'll be real. It won't be fake. It won't be like, I forgive him. Like, it will be real. I know it firsthand. Josh knows it firsthand. And there's several others in this room that know it firsthand. If you want to know it firsthand, let's stand up because we're going to receive Jesus. And we're going to trust Jesus. We're going to trust Jesus because his path will heal our hearts, especially in the area of the Father. He has a way. He knows all of our stories, and he still finds a way to do it. There's no story too far-fetched for you still not to benefit from the reconciliation power of God. But before I reconcile with my earthly dad, I had to reconcile with the heavenly father. And that's what we're going to do today. Jesus is going to reconcile us to our heavenly father and just see what happens next. So repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess 
that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I believe reconciliation just happened, so let's celebrate according to what we believed happened. Let's make some noise for reconciliation. Let's make some noise for reconciliation. Thank you, Jesus.